don't you daddy long legs don't you go near the laptop you cunt you don't like daddy long legs they don't freak me out but they're annoying i'm okay. not scared of them in any way like not like there's i found like a big spider in here in the cabin yeah the other day that freaks me out and when i say big i mean big by uk standards like yeah just size of your palm not even but legs not even it would fit in your palm quite comfortably and like have room to move around <laughs> <laughs> that's uk big yeah but it would, but it had small man syndrome. It was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you want to mess with me? I've got eight fucking legs. It's big. You know, when you can actually see almost kind of like knees mm. on the joints of their legs. That's yeah. big. If you can see little knobbly bits. Like it's legs. got giganticism of the spider. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so I was thinking the other day, actually, that I would want that sort of power to be able to just like say what I want. And then as soon as someone wants to come back at me, just pull a gun. And just put it like right in front of their face. So you want Escape from New York type place, type <laughs> life, but you want to be Snake Plissken. I just don't want anyone to ever tell me I'm wrong. And I'm going to do it in a non-academic, making up this bullshit as I go along sophistry, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just a gun. I do it under a threat of death. You let me say what I want to say and you shut the fuck up. Maybe I wouldn't be that extreme. I wouldn't like... No, no, you'd... Uh, you'd... I'd allow people to disagree with me. But no one, I wouldn't let anybody And then say write their you. names down in a book. But then anyone who says like, oh, you can't say that. That's too, oh no, that's too controversial. Oh my God, that's too on the nose. Like, no, that's when the gun comes out. <laughs> that's like, I start every conversation by showing the handle of the gun. You want chest, to be you know a gangster. I mean? That's basically when you want to be a 19, really. 1970s gangster. I don't want to. Don Cole, I don't have the money. I don't want money. I just want leeway to say what I want to be able to say without anyone giving me shit for it. Well, Don... you can disagree with me, but don't give me shit for it. Don Cole, we never thought you'd say those things when we let you run for mayor. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to what is scheduled to be the final episode of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. Still going to be doing podcasts in the future, just not under. They say you should never rebrand a podcast, but we're going to try it. But yeah, Hyman is here for the final episode. Kind of ironically, the reason why... At the tail end of it, I was there at the start and I'll be at the end. You were here for like the last two, three episodes. Appreciate the efforts. But yeah, Hyman's here. We're joined, almost as always, with, by Tim as well. Hello, everybody. And of course, I've always only ever been here to fill in for Hyman. He's a very good substitute. And on today's show, we talked about Brexit, Theresa May's speech in Florence. We also talked about Donald Trump's speech at the UN and Rocket Man. I don't know how the rest of that song goes. Burning on the edge of heaven now. He should have used a different one. Like, hopefully the next speech he'll call him, like, Tiny Dancer. (laughs) 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 But speaking of Elton John, he starred in a movie that we also saw and we gave our review to, Kingsman, The Golden Circle. All that and more on today's episode of the Tom... On the final episode of the Tom, Dick and Iman Show. Goodbye! (laughs) Hello, this is the intro. Mr. Secretary General, world leaders, and distinguished delegates, welcome to New York. It is a profound honor to stand here in my home city as a representative of the American people to address the people of the world. For more than 70 years, in times of war and peace, the leaders of nations, movements, and religions have stood before this assembly Like them, I intend to address some of the very serious threats before us today, but also the enormous potential waiting to be unleashed. I watched today Donald Trump's speech at the UN. I mean, obviously, I saw the little clip where he referred to Kim Jong-un as Rocket Man. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able, but hopefully... This will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is for. Let's see how they do. Racket man. But overall, what did you think of the speech? I thought it was great. Said what you need to say. But, you know, like if if Obama had given that speech, they would have been like, you know, this is is good. Racket man. He needs to stop doing what he's doing. We will stop him. Uh, That racket man. 
Thank you. Thank you. But there were, like, throughout the whole speech, every time he would attack a kind of sovereign head of state, mm. you'd hear little murmurings in the background, like little few of, like, <gasps> shit, did he just... Are you think... were saying about UN ambassador... This yeah. woman, Tim, do you remember Boutros, the Boutros Ghali? No, <laughs> the, the Nestor Rapinelli, the the American U.S. ambassador. When she came in, uh, the Trump one, and she goes like, "We're taking names, people that we don't agree with us." You don't remember this? Yeah, she was going. You guys have fucked up. We're going to take control of this because yeah. they're pissed off. Referencing Trump's speech at the UN here, yeah, when he said twenty two percent of the UN's budget comes solely from America, and there's a hundred and ninety different countries. And then everyone's like, oh, that's obviously bullshit. And then that's you fact true. check it and it's true. That's part of that budget that they claim is going like, yeah, America helps out and pays for South Korea. And like, yeah, it's through the UN, you idiots. They don't just hand it over and go like, oh, we're giving money to our allies. Oh, we're also giving money to the UN. No, that budget that's going to these other countries is through the UN budget. And only about oh, half see. of it actually goes to the actual cause. The rest of it goes to Kofi Annan's son. Exactly. <laughs> Oil for food. Uh, controversy that was a few years ago the supranational organization thing like so much fucking money goes through it Mm -hmm. you couldn't possibly have it any other way than it's corrupt there's some level of corruption going on. well everyone takes their piece as it goes through the chain down to where it needs to go skims their little 10 percent off the top a couple of mil here or there no one's going to notice when you're talking like five six hundred billion you need to get money to a warlord to uh, overthrow (laughs) a country that you disagree with you're going to have to go through a fair few intermediaries. of Burma, she's got to go. Well, listen, she's a fucking tyrant. She's part of the axis of evil. Well, listen, you, you can probably no, count... she's a lady. You, you can probably count the number of poor politicians in the world on one hand. Yeah. But um, what's really pissed me off about the UN this week is, is the way some idiots have framed Trump's speech and they're saying, like, oh, he's so belligerent, it's terrible. And I saw a cartoon mm. today of Trump and Kim with their dicks out measuring them on <laughs> tiny, a table. Tiny, tiny little, little dicks. dicks. Massive what bellies. porn do you look at? This was, on, this was just on Facebook, right? This was like the fucking New Statesman or something. Yeah, Brooklyn yeah. and, and Guardian like, or yeah. something like that. And I just thought, well, okay, say that. Ask the Japanese how they fucking feel, mm. you know? If you're an alien and you came down to Earth in the last couple of weeks, and you were like reading up about Trump, North Korea, and you would be convinced it was all Donald Trump's fault. Because that's what the Western media has been saying. Like, it's like, this is, it's Donald Trump escalating problems here. No, it's not. He's not firing missiles over Japan. Yeah, and the, the latest thing is Kim wants to detonate. Wait, hold on. What about that giant magnet he's built in Alaska to capture all <laughs> the, the rockets that are flying away? Can't get the congressional budget. Uh. <laughs> but Trump's, there is a massive amount of delusion Trump's going to give you Mostly ammunition. in his head, but okay. That's what I mean. Like, he's going to give you ammunition. There's things you can talk shit about Trump that are perfectly valid, legit accusations you can make against him. And then there's things like, oh, North Korea's, like, it's all Donald Trump's fault. No, it's not. Kim wants to detonate a hydrogen bomb at sea yeah, in, in the, the Pacific, Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Now, obviously, the only reason he wants to do this is because so far he's only done underground tests where all, all you get is a bit of dust rising about a foot. Yeah. He just wants the big pretty mushroom cloud and loud bang. Yeah, propaganda image. Yeah, yeah, but he has, he has so much land he could do that on a, on his own on his own land. But in, in the age Too of close to China, but in the age <laughs> of like, yeah, that's um, true. yeah, no one has shown more contempt for other nations and for the well being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. It is responsible for the starvation deaths of millions of North Koreans and for the imprisonment, torture, killing, and oppression of countless more. If this is not twisted enough, now North Korea's reckless pursuit of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles threatens the entire world with unthinkable loss of human life. No nation on earth has an interest in seeing this band of criminals arm itself with nuclear weapons and missiles. The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself for its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. There won't be a war in North Korea because China doesn't want an ally. They don't want America. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, they already, uh, South Korea already has uh, American missile silos. Pointed. (laughs) Well, no, just just on their land. I mean, that is fucking close enough for China. But having Mm. literally on the border, as soon as someone goes in to North Korea, China will go in. How long can the Kim 
dynasty, military dictatorship. The, the next step to stopping them will be working with the people that actually supply or, or trade with North Korea. Mostly China. China's already agreed to limit its oil exports even more. Yes, which is, which is yeah. quite a big move. It, it's legal. It's completely legal to carpet bomb that Dennis entire Rodman, country. Dennis Rodman will be sending yeah. him food parcels. But do, you, do, you, do you see the absurdity of it? It's, 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 it's completely legal, according to the UN, to carpet bomb that country. They could do it tomorrow. It'd be fine. But it's against international law to send in one assassin, one ninja, to take out Kim. It's against the law to, for assassination. To, like, execute a head of yeah, state? Yeah, But, it, but you're but allowed what? to, like, just North butcher Korea's, the innocents. Because they've made threatening rhetoric, yeah. you could actually invade them. Yeah. You know what the next step is, actually? Just to move the UN somewhere else. So Away from Trump? No, well, um, away from New York, or, mm. no, away from America. I can quite easily see the UN moving to Canada or Mexico. <laughs> you know, like... Well, uh, not now, because Mexico's like a pile of rubble. There was a big earthquake there this week. Oh, God, yes, there mm. was. And there was a big so, earthquake. I thought it was in Venezuela. Seven no. point something. And there was an earthquake in New Zealand, and there was an That's earthquake. every year. Trying to focus on Trump's speech. A couple cool bits of it. Well, then, if I want to see a raving lunatic, I'll talk to you after three more drinks. <laughs> I like the Thanks, fact buddy. that he's he's he, he wasn't using very flowery language. Like the way that Kim Il Jong speaks, he says like we're going to sink Japan, we're going to obliterate these imperialist the dogs. Hardcore demagogue. He says these words and like Trump's actually speaking in a similar sort of language by calling him rocket man and saying that he's <laughs> he's writing his own suicide note. Yeah, like he's, he but, has said in no uncertain terms like we would destroy Yeah, North Korea. North Korea. But I don't if I'm listening to a speech like that, I don't want to listen to a speech that's like going to hoe down. <laughs> like a ding 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 so, you know, like If you're going to go into war, war is quite a horrible, nasty thing. You yes, need to get but I still want my generals right at the top of the hill. But you want to get people's spirits up a bit. You don't want to be like, you don't want to be all like depressive and like meek. You what want to be like, um, people what? up a bit you know if you're what? talking about destroying you know country. What? what about battle rap? That's how we settle this between Trump. <laughs> Kim Jong Un and Don Dennis Rodman's the referee. I would love the idea of Kim Jong Un going like, "I can do a Gundam style, huh? <laughs> yeah, but it's a little bit old." <laughs> Raising the spirits. I don't think anyone would have gone into the Second World War if it was going like, "Oh, I got now. We're going to bloody blow your bloody head off, aren't we? I've got cockles and pears and stuff. He's going to go and." his schnitzel, Winnie. So you basically think Trump's a bit too parochial in the way he uh, talks to he people. He was selling it parochial. He was overplaying parochial on that speech. Yeah, but he did. He looked good doing it. Look, what are you going to do for your fantasy figure when he gets impeached? I've got Nigel Farage. Are you got Nigel Farage. <laughs> Raj just said, um, he said more Sir, direct insults. Saint, Saint Sir Nigel MBE Lord Farage. But he's had that, you know, the um, Van Rumpelroy, what was his name? Yeah, Van Rumpy. You have the charisma of a damp rag and the appearance of a low-grade bank clerk. And the question that I want to ask, the question that I want to ask, that we're all going to ask is, who are you? Who are you? Yeah. Trump's not he's brilliant. that direct. I think that's a British thing. Like we've got a really good way of insulting people. Well, a like, cutting a unique way. way yeah. Well, that, that leads into our uh, Mother Teresa's speech at the uh, UN this week. <laughs> Trays. No. But no, but at the UN, she was speaking to an almost empty room. Yeah, but she did didn't give even a speech bother. in uh, Florence as well, though. Yeah, that was on Brexit. Brexit. We'll come to that. There was nothing. But um, Trump went after North Korea, Venezuela. He went after a Maduro. He had a good yeah. line about that, actually. We call for the full restoration of democracy and political freedoms in Venezuela. The problem in Venezuela is not that socialism has been poorly implemented, but that socialism has been faithfully implemented. And you heard like a little, just a tiny... I, Small I am, amount of applause. I am looking forward to the McCarthy-esque trials that are coming in the next 20 years. <laughs> You're like, are you a communist? What? What's communism? I went to a liberal arts college. What? <laughs> like, so you'll probably start with, are you Venezuelan? <laughs> are you a Muslim? Are you a Venezuelan Muslim? <laughs> Did you, are, you, are you a communist Venezuelan Muslim? You, you voted Hillary? Are you an Uber driver? <laughs> oh, Uber. Side note, I'm really happy about that news. I'm happy and sad. I feel sorry for... 
the like forty thousand four percent of the forty thousand drivers who are actually good at their jobs <laughs> uh, who are out of a job, but um, the rest of them can just fucking take a flying leap. Yeah, Uber have lost their operating license. They can no longer. Well, I think in thirty days' time, something like that, Uber will cease to operate in London pending uh, a twenty-one day appeal process. Don't cry too much for Uber. Their, their no. backers are huge, like the Alphabet Corporation, who owns Google. All the, all their drivers are self-employed, so technically, Uber hasn't had to pay any national insurance or income tax in this country. But and also because they take a twenty-five percent cut of every fare the drivers do after expenses and travel and shit. Got they, to pay fuel. Yeah, they make MOT yeah, insurance. Yeah. They make about five pounds an hour. On Jesus, yeah. So they, they're forced to do these ridiculous long hours, which is why they're normally semi-sonomulent zombies, because they, they, they've, they've only <laughs> they've had, had like... 16-hour days. Like. Yeah, with like four hours sleep in the boot of the car. And like all these people who are moaning about it, they're mostly upset because Uber's so cheap. It's and not that cheap, they, they're, But compared to other taxis, and they're, they're prepared... Compared to, to black cabbies, They're, they're yeah, prepared definitely. to like have these people have work, shit working conditions for their own convenience. Yeah. And what ultimately is going to happen... Uber have already been testing driverless cars. So as soon as they perfect that, all their drivers will be sacked yeah, in, in one day. So then it's, it's, it's dodgy all around. Don't hate the soldier, hate the war. That's the new rhetoric. But, but Uber's entire business model was, we're like a fake taxi firm. Mm. And that means we get to skirt. Every major city has taxi regulations up the arse, right? And their entire business model was, we'll just operate illegally. We just won't give a shit. And when the no, it's, city it's, it's, council it's, it's, or what yeah. have you, when they come to us, our excuse is we're not a taxi firm. No, we're a software company. Yeah, we're a web They app. just happen to have a software that someone can use yeah. and people pay us rent on it to use the software. And the thing, they, they, they can do their, I mean, it just happened to be part of Uber. They can call their thing whatever they want. But so they, I don't like this gig sharing economy bollocks. It's like you use all your capital, all your labor, all your resources mm-hmm. and some rich cunt in Silicon Valley makes the money off of it. And it wasn't just in Silicon Valley because there was a bit of controversy about how Uber got their license in the first place. Oh, because Samantha the, Cameron's best friend yeah, works the, the, for Uber. The executives or something like that. of Uber were like yeah. mates of George Osborne and David mm. Cameron. So, well, that's how you get everything done. You have to know the person. Yeah, Uber are not stupid. They knew they were getting really bad PR, so they hired like um, people to be PR directors who have government contacts. Yeah, it doesn't matter if your company is shit and selling shit and doing shit and, and treating everyone like shit. We're in the door. We're in the room. We're at the table. But- Boris Johnson, like he came out against Uber and in favor of black cabs initially. Samantha Cameron's friend, the director of PR communications mm. in the UK for Uber, she pays David Cameron a visit. The following day, Boris Johnson has come out in favour of Uber and against the black cabs, calling them Luddites. And do you, do you guys still remember like the look on Samantha Cameron's face after Brexit? Yeah, like she was looking at David Cameron like you, you fucking idiot, fucking useless. I married yeah. you because you had power and I had money. I look like a cunt now. Mm. I made promises to. But at the same time, she they obviously had a deal where look, whilst I'm prime minister, you support me. No matter what, you be my right-hand woman, whatever. Mm. And then as soon as I'm out of office, I will back you and your fashion company desires. And all your family contacts. Yeah, but I'm really happy Uber got banned. But then I'll tell you what it was. Uber, like, there are these taxi ranks at, like, airports, train stations, where black cabbies pay a license fee to be able to use those taxi ranks. And Uber drivers just go in there and they take, obviously, there's a finite amount of space. Every time an Uber driver goes in, a black cabbie can't use it. And they've paid for the privilege, whereas the Uber driver hasn't. And so TFL will go to Uber. Okay, look, these black cabbies are pissed off because you're in their taxi ranks. That's a legit complaint. What are you going to do about it? We ain't going to do shit. Our drivers are not, they're not our drivers. They're not employees of ours. There's nothing we can do to reprimand them. So TFL went, all right, you've put us in an untenable position. Our job is to enforce the regulations, and you've made it impossible for us to do that. Therefore, you don't get to operate here anymore. To me, that's entirely, that's above board. There's no complaint there. It's entirely Uber's fault. Young people are getting pissed off there, apparently. But again, it's like... have to get the night But it's like like killing off all the low-level soldiers in a mafia, and you know you can kill a million of them, and you're never going to get anywhere near the actual Don. Don Cole. Oh, yeah, okay. The actual software developers, they don't give a fuck. We go back to um, Trump. Another rich man. Allegedly. allegedly. He attacked Maduro, Venezuela, North Korea. Trump also attacked Iran. 
It is far past time for the nations of the world to confront another reckless regime, one that speaks openly of mass murder, vowing death to America, destruction to Israel, and ruin for many leaders and nations in this room. The Iranian government masks a corrupt dictatorship behind the false guise of a democracy. Rather than use its resources to improve Iranian lives, its oil profits go to fund Hezbollah and other terrorists that kill innocent Muslims and attack their peaceful Arab and Israeli neighbors. And the Iran-American nuclear... Why should only our troops do that? The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. Frankly, that deal is an embarrassment to the United States, and I don't think you've heard the last of it. Believe me. (laughs) It's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. It's the worst deal ever we made with Iran. But America's been on it Iran for years, and Iran's been on it America for years, doing various little terrorist acts, so... How bad does it look when he accuses Iran of sponsoring terrorism and then he's really friendly and warm to Saudi Arabia? Okay, what's the full title of Iran as a country? Yeah. It's, it's an Islamic state yeah. run by an ayatollah. He attacked radical Islam pretty hard. You know, it's dodgy. It's dodgy. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's on PC. But this is, this is the last show, so I don't give a damn. But why you not lump Saudi Arabia in with Iran? It's the kind of thing you would expect from Trump. Because Saudi Arabia allowed him to play with that giant glowing globe thing. It reminds me of, um, yeah, that was weird. It reminds me of Network. You know, where he's the guy who's like, he's like some, oil, yeah. some oil conglomerate. And yeah. he's going, like, I am the Alpha of the Omega. And he explains how the world works now. And it's like, Saudi Arabia take $2 billion out of America. And now they have to put it back. And that's the relationship. They spend money with us. This is why Britain won't, this is why Dre's. Prime Minister Trace, she won't shit talk Saudi Arabia because they're buying our weapons and we need them in light of Brexit. And we need every billionaire in every country that basically wants to hide us money to use our banks to do that. To hide their euros. I like the way Trump bigged up the nation state. I was kind of happy to hear that. Our government's first duty is to its people, to our citizens. All responsible leaders have an obligation to serve their own citizens, and the nation-state remains the best vehicle for elevating the human condition. As President of the United States, I will always put America first. Just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put America first. To hear someone going to the UN and say like, the nation state is how you lift people out of poverty and like you you guarantee their freedoms through the nation state. And of course, some people would see that as as regressive. You know, I heard a phone in someone just bitching about Brexit, crying that we were leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, the, the the guy said, "So you think you know having a, a single European president is a good idea?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah." And he was like, "So you think having you know." Single European army is a good idea. And he was like, yeah, yeah, single government. Yeah, single currency. NWO. One world government. And the guy went, yeah, that'd be a great idea. He's like, one world government with one president. And, and like, but for if some it's a pe- guy you like or a woman some, you like. But for some people, they, they, they see that as a natural progression. As It can be seen that way. But it's again, it's, it's a futuristic thing, but it's not necessarily good. All of our political leaders, they all fulfill this sort of cult of personality requirement. Yeah. That's kind of how politics is now. It's glorified popularity contest. Like someone who's really pro Hillary would probably love the idea of having a Hillary world, running one world. world government and she's global president. You know what that comes down to? It stems from the mental treatment of humanity. You're all idiots. There is only one answer. I am that answer. We've never had a dictatorship, so we don't know what that's like. In Britain, But yeah. basically, that's what we want. We want one person to lead us to do this. I think mistakenly today, a lot of people think that liberal, Western liberalism, democracy, that's the default setting of humanity, and it's not. No! Hardcore authoritarianism, like iron fist rule, that's our default setting. Again, the only reason communism failed is because it was competing with capitalism. There were some internal contradictions. I'm I'm not saying it was good, but I'm saying the only reason... That's why Stalin starved his own people, to fight capitalism, yeah. Trump UN, I think a lot of Americans would like that Trump speech. 
I, I think uh, after eight years of Obama and... It's 70, a show of power. Yeah, and 70% of Americans saying America's gone in the wrong direction under Obama. And that was uh, it, because Obama's whole ethos was America is stepping back from being world police, uh, the guarantor... Why can't it be like Europe? the 1950s when we controlled everything before? Yeah, to... The end of American dominance is what Obama tried to signal. And Trump is a complete rejection of that. And a lot of Americans like him for it. Well, it's like, it's a bit, it just echoes a little bit back to the North Korea thing. It's like, we don't have to worry about it too much. North Korea is very far away. Fuck's sake, we're even numbing ourselves to Russia. If you're not is, Scandinavia, is, yeah. who cares? What's the no. worst thing that Russia's could do to us, though? They'll cut, they can cut off the gas. Hyman, Tom, don't panic about energy. Once Brexit is done and dusted, <laughs> we're going to frack the entire landmass of Scotland. I'm, I'm secretly hoping we leave the EU, Scotland vote for independence, then we invade Scotland and take all the royal... you know i think maybe instinctively that's why countries you know maybe why scotland did vote to remain because they sort of sense that the eu did sort of give them some strength against bullying england well the eu said um look if you secede from the united kingdom you're out of the eu you have to reapply and you guaranteed the eu would say to scotland you're taking the euro you're joining schengen moving on theresa may brexit she gave a speech in florence I interpreted this speech as a uh, extending the olive branch to the EU. A little bit of a, sorry, we kind of fucked this up. We're going to try and rectify this okay, now. Okay, what did she say? The United Kingdom will cease to be a member of the European Union on the 29th of March 2019. But the fact is that at that point, neither the UK nor the EU and its member states will be in a position to implement smoothly many of the detailed arrangements that will underpin this new relationship we seek. As I said in my speech at Lancaster House, a period of implementation would be in our mutual interest. And that is why I am proposing, during the implementation period, access to one another's markets should continue on current terms, and Britain should also continue to take part in existing security measures. The framework for this strictly time-limited period, which can be agreed under Article 50, would be the existing structure of EU rules and regulations. How long the period is should be determined simply by how long it will take to prepare and implement the new processes and new systems that will underpin that future partnership. As of today, these considerations point to an implementation period of around two years. She's now asking the EU for a two-year transition period starting whatever, 21st March 2019. So we'll be leaving, technically we'll leave the EU, but for two years everything will remain the same in this transition period whilst we set up the equivalent regulatory bodies. This is my takeaway from this is we're doing everything now that we should have done before we triggered Article 50. Yes, we are. We did it completely the wrong way around. We're oh, basically we a person that got caught with our trousers down we and did. then are trying to do a PR campaign Thank to go like, God we trousers it. down are good. <laughs> as soon as we get things going, we it's going to end it up in no deal. I guarantee it. Oh boy, that's not good. Why? I, I agree with the logic. No deal is better than a shit deal. Yeah, to- yeah, totally. The logic there but makes sense. But it's inevitable. It's they haven't been able to come to a decision so far. It looks like there's a lot the of disagreement. Uh, all that you want in the end is a, a fat watch of cash. Yeah, but we don't want to lose face really and give up powers. So don't, we don't want to end up like Norway, but it where look- like you pay money into the EU, but you're still having you don't have any say in the rules you have to be under. That would be unacceptable. Wasn't that the the Remainers' argument for remaining though? But it doesn't work like a deal. We are the people that if you quit a job and then go, actually, hold on. I, I need, still want my email. I, 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 yeah. I haven't sorted out a new job to go to yet. Who said that, though? Yeah. Who said that, though? Who said what? Who said they still want their email and still want this? People are, that dis- was Theresa May's speech. I know, was, but, everything's going to stay the same, but it's changing. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like a lot of this narrative is disregarding a lot of the reasons why a lot of people voted to leave in the first place, where they, they did want to just break off completely. But how do you feel about two-year transition period? Great, because it's a definite space of time with a with a start and end date. Well, it gives it gives a it gives a sense of framing and proportion, so that at least the business world can make plans. Do you think they, they can say like, "Oh shit, there's going to be a huge economic crash in two years"? Better start sacking people <laughs> and saving money now, so there won't be so much of a shock. 
I, I promise you, financial people are already putting their money and their, the people's money they're looking after somewhere else. They're already siphoning off and moving it somewhere else. Don't get me wrong, they'll come back. There's a reason London is the financial it, capital of the it'll world. It'll definitely and it come back, it but it'll be hidden just. for the good five years until it does come back. There's a reason London is the financial capital of the world, and it's not just because EU single market access. It's because of the conditions in London, the knowledge, the experience, the institutional setup. Like they're not going to go to Paris. Paris is it's like the Wild West compared to London, moving your banking business to Paris. It's too much of a risk. And that if you go well. to Germany, basically you have to follow the rules or have Frankfurt, to be really yeah, fucking yeah. clever to work out a way around it. Yeah, no, no. And the Germans worked out how to get around it by going to Britain. Yeah, the, the city of London even has its own police force, separate from the normal <laughs> yeah. London police force. So if they want to get investigated for fraud, it's like, oh, Fucking, not the Met. No. <laughs> they're thugs for hire, in my view, city of London police. If you're rich enough, you can hire your own legally sanctioned thugs. But Theresa May's speech, how, what did you think of it overall, like in general? Actually, I would like to know what what the outcome was of it what was the uh, what how did europe talk about it i think we, we've got an idea of what the press eu press is saying what were they saying just it's it was more of the same old in terms of it was warm fluffy best intentions kind of rhetoric sounds but, like theresa may yeah but no specifics sounds no, like theresa may <laughs> like she briefly mentioned northern ireland island border but didn't mention anything about a solution to that problem only, only, a, um, only a guarantee that will never that will well, never go so. away that will never go and we can we can blame it's a big issue william of orange i was gonna say um oliver what's his name Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell <laughs> yeah, him too. uh likewise status of eu nationals this is a sticking point for the eu they want complete jurisdiction over eu nationals in britain and we're saying no you can't have it no. And of course, we can't really be members of the single market because the single market has these four indivisible rights and one of them is uh, freedom of movement. So we're out of that to start with. I think we would still have an emergency break, but the British Parliament never uses it. But yeah, in terms of EU, um, the European press, they weren't impressed by her speech because it was too vague. They don't know what they want. It's yeah. the general consensus in the European yeah. press. Is The British have no idea. Like they've, um, It's a contradiction. Yeah. They want things to stay the same, but they want it to change. And that's not possible. It's a paradox. Like well, a petulant child. We are the petulant child. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm quite interested about what's going to happen tomorrow, which is a Sunday. Ding-ong. We're getting the results of the German general election. Mama Merkel's pretty much guaranteed to win again. But by what Mutti. But by what margin and this new alternative for Deutschland party? Wait, yeah. yeah, they're going to get who seats is? for the first time. Who knows? And the, who the is far that? right group. But, like, they're not that far oh, right. Shit. I think you've been told they're very far right, Tom. They're a little bit far right. Oh, Farage is working with them, isn't he? Yeah, now? they're not. They're not all like someone said. They're Nazis, but it's it's hard to find someone in Germany whose granddad wasn't a yeah, Nazi. Then, it, they might, be, but they, they're going to get seats. Yeah, yeah, and what people are saying is that they've been polling around thirteen percent, but a bit like Brexit and stuff. It's one of those things that people won't admit to to voting. Okay, for. so yeah, they're so they, might, so they, AFD, up, yeah. they might get a lot of votes. They're the UKIP of it. Would you say Britain or Germany Federalism. is more future future looking? No, Germany is. I'd say well, Britain Germany, is because Ger- we've decided to leave Europe. I think. I think. No, but that's what I, I walked mean. into that one, didn't I? Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, I think we we. Stand- Why is that futurism though? Like, to- I think as a nation, it's it's actually better for the rest of the world for, for to have an independent Britain outside of Europe that can sort of challenge and question these larger blocks. I honestly think that, that's a natural place. Britain has to be place. part of Europe to be... To do that. To no, do that. I don't think it that's should... That's the Remain argument. But na- the naturally, re- it shouldn't that's, have to be. It should always that be was on the, the outside. Role, that the was only, the role we had. Yeah. We were exactly. the thorn in the side of the EU. Exactly. We have to be part of Europe because the only value we have is to be the link between North America yeah. and Europe. Like I say, it's, we're doing everything now that we should have done before we triggered Article 50. I think what people forget about what people forget about Theresa May, she was a Remainer. She doesn't actually want us to leave Europe. It's a fucking miracle that the process has gotten this far down the line. She just wants <laughs> to obfuscate and slow things down again. And this speech was another example of that. There was nothing dramatic promised or done. No. And Boris Johnson, I think, is leading an underground coup of, like, no deal. <laughs> I was literally going to ask, do we think she's going to be ousted soon? No, yes. I, it's when, when, when the deal collapses, there'll be like this undercurrent of usurpers like Boris who say, okay, well, it's not working. Let's just say no deal. Philip Hammond and Amber Rudd are already, and Boris Johnson, they're already making manoeuvres and they're not being 
entirely clandestine about it either. They're making it a bit obvious. I reckon Theresa May will be gone before the end of the year. You're not sad about the backlash that's going to happen? We're going to get way down a year's worth of sexual politics about that as Sex- well. What would you mean? Well, we got rid of another woman politician. Oh, sexism accusations, oh. yeah. Well, unless Amber Rudd takes over. Or unless Theresa May breaks out her low-cut tops again. You said she was ill? When I saw her do her speech this week, and she has She's this, always got bags under her eyes. She has the bags under her eyes. She has this slight tremor in her voice a lot. But She's shit scared, man. That's how it seems. <laughs> that's how it seems. And I, I think, like, I wouldn't be surprised if she ends up stepping down because of some health health issue. That would be the excuse, I reckon. Or it might be the genuine thing. But I she's, I, she's diabetic. Do you think she lasts till the end of the year? Yeah, I think... And I beyond? Think, no, I think, I think she'll, she'll last at least another two years. I, it's just going to last until the point of Brexit breaks down. Oh, 2019. Oh, who would want? Who would want it then? Oof. What's the alternative, Comrade Corbyn? Um, Vince the latest, Cable. The latest polling. If laying you, a fucking cable. Yeah, Vince Cable. Oh my God, Parliament. he said he said something absolutely ridiculous. Like um, I can be prime minister. Yeah, it's it's plausible that a seventy-four-year-old Vince Cable could be prime minister, and it's like, bro, you've got like three hundred seats you have to turn in your favour. It's like you're never going to do that. But Theresa May, she's called for this two-year transition. We don't really know what the EU response is yet. But that's the thing. The EU is as much to blame for us. It's like, when do they have to give their official response by? It's like, they're just being so slow as well. But again, they're the the company you're trying to quit. They don't have to decide on something. They've already set out their stall. They haven't said... Pay the bill. And we're disputing it. Let's call it £50 billion. Yeah, we're disputing the figure, which I think uh, I'm I'm getting really fed up of um, Eurofile Press making out like it's outrageous that we're actually trying to negotiate the Brexit bill. Of course we're fucking negotiating it. That's fine. The problem with that type of budget is Europe is looking at how much we actually bring to the table. And Europe hates that we bring a lot to the table. Yeah. So that's why they're asking for a lot of money to get Um, that. To cover themselves. We don't Every... just bring it to the table, we slap it down but on the table. And... The two big players are France and Germany. Yeah. They've already said they're not prepared to make up for the loss of Britain's cash injection for no, lack of they're still time. They're still trying to make up after Greece dropped out. Yeah. And they haven't just They successfully a bit for... protected themselves from that. No, they're protecting themselves. The problem with is it's a credit-based economy. The reason they're asking so much from us is not for the one year. They're looking for like two or three years yeah. further down the line. So when they can actually start bolstering and creating an equilibrium, like they've so, got a credit-based economy back again. But they've got a plan to how to recoup the money they're going to lose from Britain leaving. Do they? Yeah, and it's and we're the ones who are going to pay it in a way. Yeah, but they're also... Most having- Euro transactions go through London. Yeah. And the EU, have uh, they floated this idea. Oh, we're going to tax yeah. all financial transactions involving the euros. Yeah. And so our London banks are going to be paying taxes to the EU. They convert it back over, yeah. yeah. And t- that will make up for the loss. I mean, I guess that's not too bad. That's, catch- that's catching on the back end. Why not? If that's how they look at it long term, and if that gets us out or smoothly out... That's all you they know, want well, is a it. smooth exit. Fuck it, that's not too bad. That's their big priority is that it, it's the least amount of disruption. That's yeah. what the EU wants. They don't care that Britain's leaving. They think, you know, we'll get by without you. It's all right. They still want to have some control over our laws. They yeah. care about EU citizens. Yeah, but they don't give a fuck about our laws. The reaction, say, like from uh, a Nigel Farage, he's taken this as a betrayal. Like, there's this narrative that a lot of people voted leave to leave the EU as swiftly as possible. Yep. As cheaply as possible. Yeah, yeah. He's Just saying get the that. Fuck out. Well, I mean, what she really said today was, "Look, we're going to leave the European Union, but we'll do it in name only." In fact, she made it pretty clear that she doesn't really want to leave at all, and she just wants the current status quo to simply be rebadged. As far as the transition period's concerned, well, uh, let's be clear: we didn't vote for a transition period. That was settled in the referendum. We voted to leave, and it's now going to be a minimum of five years before we leave the European Union. And I wouldn't be surprised if this woman's still in charge. If we don't get to 2021 and be told we need two or three more years. You see, the point about these negotiations is that the strongest card you have in any business negotiation in life is the fact the other side need to know that if you're not happy, you're going to walk away. And today, she threw that position away. Her strongest negotiating hand disappeared today. There is nothing that she said today that will make the European Union suddenly say, yes, OK, we'll give you what you want. I fear that this transition 
arrangement that she's opted for, where effectively we stay full members for another two years, uh, I fear that could go on for a long time. Well, the one really important thing is the people today that we really upset will be countries all over the world who saw Brexit as a fantastic opportunity to get closer to the United Kingdom. And the message from Florence today is Britain is not open for business. We will not be doing deals with any of you for many years to come. And that, to me, is the saddest part of this speech. But Nigel Farage is saying, leave voters have been betrayed. I don't feel that way. I, we're doing now what we should have done before. Like, what we're doing needs to happen. We should have not triggered Article 50 for like two, maybe three years, figured out everything we need to do to leave the EU, and then trigger Article 50. When the, our way, though, when the vote came in, why the fuck did we trigger it? Did we feel like, so quickly, oh, if we, yeah. don't, if we don't trigger it now, it won't ever happen? Yes. What the fuck happened? There was what? panic. Yeah. Why the fuck did that happen? Why Gina are we Miller, so... Yeah. Gina Miller scared the shit out of the Tories. They genuinely thought she found the legal loophole to stop Brexit. Yeah, like the vote said we had to do it for some reason. There had to be a parliamentary vote, which I agree with. We are a parliamentary democracy. Referendums shouldn't really be the uh, overriding no. factor. But Parliament voted for it. But my wider point, right, is but the again- EU's reaction to what we're doing. They think we have no idea what we want. We've created this paradox. True. Yeah, it is true. We've created a paradox where it's we want things to be the same, but we recognize they can't be. What happens if the EU turns around and says, no, there will be no transition period? I don't think they're legally obligated to accept. They could just turn around, no, fuck you. March 2019, you're gone. There is actually, yeah, they could do that, but there is actually some... All the treaties ripped up. There is actually some clause in Article 50 that says the the EU isn't allowed to, like, penalise a country. Yeah, they can't punitively damage us. Yeah, Yeah, so there is that in black and white. And so uh, Boris Johnson, in his sort of very subversive speech, his speech has been about... Oh, what, he wrote for the Telegraph? Yeah, and and even what he said to the Sky reporters who cornered him sweatily in the (laughs) elevator. It's more about what Boris hasn't said than what he has said. He said, we'll do what we have to do legally. So legally, we don't have to give them any money. True, but But, if we want to deal, we have to pay the exit. But but punitive damage like that. It all comes down to non-tariff barriers, regulations, licenses. All of these things have to be agreed. That's why Boris Johnson's position is, yes, no deal is better than a bad deal, but we need a deal. No, we don't need a deal. We, well, we do. We can't go to the WTO, man. It's not. There'll be lorries piled up at Calais. And- I'm sorry. Have you seen Jamaica? Jamaica's fucked after the WTO. Yeah, I'm saying it'll be a terrible thing, but it's still a thing. It's an option. It's an option. That's what I mean. It's, it's the last resort, though. It'll make the EU look bad. We don't have rugger to sell. If, if we're all starving on the streets... We need, like, the French to send us, like, emergency baguettes. America would be easy. Uh, you're cutting off your brie contact. <laughs> and, of course, the only reason Donald Trump's pro-Brexit is uh, he wants, he likes a weakened EU. He thinks Britain leaving weakens the EU. That makes America stronger. He's, he's against one world government, like I am. Unless it's America. But Theresa May, consensus is she's kicking it into the long grass. It means we're not going to be leaving the EU for at least five years. Now, Tim, your position has always pretty much been we need to get out and get out swiftly. Yeah. Are you worried now? Um, no, I'm, I'm still amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that the vote went through. I'm amazed we signed Article 50. It's got this far. I'm amazed it's got this far. So let's keep this ball rolling. You so sound, it turns into a fireball at some you point. You sound like a gambler. Oh, my God. Roll it, the dice. Don't it, think it, twice. It rolled on red? <laughs> I think we did take a risk voting leave. Knowingly, it was a risk. I think we just jumped the gun. I think the EU is going to collapse because uh, other countries like Hungary and Poland are having massive problems with them. Greece is having massive problems with them. EU don't care about Greece. It, they don't care, basically, full stop. And that's why I think people are waking up to it. And just like a Jenga tower, we're the first <laughs> block to go and more blocks are going to follow. But here's my, abs- my worst nightmare around Brexit. We decide, okay, we're going to kick it into the long grass. We're going to have... A two-year transition period, which will very quickly change into three-year, four-year, five-year, six-year transition period. And eventually we end up with a Europhile parliament that goes, you know what, listen, guys, fuck this. Let's just vote. Let's have a parliamentary vote to remain in the EU. And then... What? But this is my... What? This is my nightmare scenario, right? The EU turn around and say, actually, there is no formal way for you guys to cancel Article 50 process. You can trigger it. You can start it. But you can't cancel it because don't forget, you guys had a public referendum. You then had a parliamentary vote to trigger Article 50. And then that you sent us, yeah, you sent us formally headed official documents saying you're leaving. Britain is leaving the EU. 
So you know what? Fuck you. We're not cancelling it. We're not cancelling Brexit. You are leaving the EU, and the most you can get from us is the day you've left, you can reapply to join. But you're losing the pound sterling. You're taking on the euro as your currency. You're signing up fully to Schengen. Free is part of the diet. Yeah, they can force their cuisine on us. But they can basically just say, no, listen, you've got to leave and then reapply. That's my nightmare Brexit scenario. That would require a massive betrayal of the British voting public by its political class elite. and but, but again what, what that might happen though because these political elites they're so political and so elite they might actually just take one for the team know that they'll all get lose their jobs at the next general election I'm, yeah. and just do the bidding of the eu I'm, all get a nice fat backhander i'm sorry to yeah, dis- pension I, contribution i disagree with you it won't be the elite it'll be the fucking class the lower class the people saying going like well we expect a change to be automatic why isn't it worked out right this second? I think Tim's right. It would be viewed as a betrayal. What do we think the best case scenario is now for Brexit? She has a heart attack while signing something. So it's <laughs> half a signature. <laughs> and there's a legal limbo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like she signed her first name. Tim, your um, serious answer? <laughs> we wait two years for the continuing and inevitable collapse of continental Europe to happen. More <laughs> terror attacks, more economic failures. Italy's going to go bust. More migrants. Yeah. And we just wait for that to happen, put a bloody great cork in the end of the Channel Tunnel and just turn around <laughs> to everyone who voted Remain and say, I fucking told you so. Who wants to be a member of that mess? Let's have a giant flamethrower in Kent. <laughs> Uh, just a that cork. Just sends just a giant cork. fireballs down the Euro no, tunnel. Just a big fat cork on the end of that tunnel. What do you think of like I'm here I'm seeing in Remainer press the optimism, the Brexiteer optimism, uh, it's dead. No, it's gone. It and it's gone. all damage control now. Again, that isn't politics, that is how the human mindset in a modern millennial like, mindset paranoid, is, insecure. Yes. It's oh it didn't work first time, but I punched them in the face. Why didn't they go down? I watched it in a movie. They always go down in a first punch. Yeah, there's like a fatalism. People give up too much. I almost that was Boris Johnson's point, I really. almost want this to go through just because someone's finally fucking going through something in this yeah. country. In this country in this, in this world mindset, in this world. In this Western man. mindset. And why should there's no long term thinking. No. And it should be the Brits that that do it because we've always been the innovators and the rebels and the bastards of the world and it is quite a nasty <laughs> thing to like leave the eu when it needs us I but love... i'm sorry mate we weren't getting a good deal so we're hey, gonna Britain. go somewhere else that's basically you've summed it up in one sentence <laughs> can you take on more refugees actually we were thinking of leaving you know is that the time like the, bill, yes. the bill came for the dinner i said 11 o'clock to the babysitter but <laughs> To make a success of Brexit, right, it's going to have to be, we're going to have to replace Britain's greatest shining moment being World War II. It's going to have to be usurped by Brexit in some way. It's almost like it's like a studio picture mentality that says something outside will get in the way of doing something and we'll all rally towards it. We didn't know a war was going to happen, so we rallied towards it. We can't manage peace. Peace is the worst thing that can happen to a westernized mentality. Do you know what peace is, though, in global peace? It's the honor system. But it's, it's everyone saying, okay, we all agree to not be fucking dicks. All it takes is one dick to ruin it all. And the thing is, after so much peace, we want that dick to come back because we're not comfortable with peace. It's our default. Yeah. And on that point... <laughs> Kingsman. Exy, I saw in you what someone once saw in me. Something that can't be taught. The makings of a Kingsman. Being a Kingsman is more than the clothing we wear or the weapons we bear. It's about being willing to sacrifice for the greater good. I hope you're ready for what comes next. Was it good? No. Yeah. <laughs> Who's it directed by? Matthew. Uh, Matthew Vaughan with um, Taron Egerton. And also uh, Mark Strong. Mark Strong. Colin Firth. Yeah. It's a kind of spoof MI5 secret service, British secret service agents. It's a continuation of what if the uh, original movie had to move to America because everything what, fell what out. What was the original movie, first off? 
Uh, secret uh, spy society, basically. Like James Bond. Yeah, like James Bond. It was a spoof. It was our modern James Bond spoof. So is it basically like Austin Powers, but not as funny? Semi-serious. Yeah. A little bit more serious. Okay, so what, more violent? Oh my god, yeah, because it's Matthew Vaughan, and so obviously he did Kick-Ass. There was a lot of humour to Kick-Ass, and there was also shock violence. The little girl cutting people's limbs off and things like that. Because he's had, I think the last five films he's done have all made a lot of money. Although, he's a really good director, but this is him, first one he's ever phoned in. Basically, all he did is he took the tricks, uh, the visual tricks, and the the scripting tricks of the first movie, and then said, like, why don't we just add another level to it? sequelitis a little bit yes pretty much because i mean i thought the film it was okay overall because you hadn't seen the first one no this is the really weird thing i'd never even heard of this franchise before and the first film made 420 million pounds dollars i mean it generated a big profit it was a box office hit yeah i hadn't even heard of it and i go to cinema fairly routinely i kind of like the idea of um taking james bond like a Roger Moore James Bond, you know, Roger Moore is like very tongue in cheek. Yeah. And then dialing that up to 11 with a little bit of like shock violence as well. That's basically, that's kind of what Kingsman, that's how I would sum up Kingsman. I think it was just so badly paced. How long is yeah, it? Yes, over two hours. It's like, oh, that's I think it was long like, for an action yeah, I think film. Two hours, 10 minutes, I think it was, something like that. The Bond prob- films are the, always quite quick. The problem with, with it was it tried to encapsulate winks and nods from the first movie. Because it it didn't have... Well, that's the thing. The winks and nods it was making was the winks and nods that it made in the first movie. Right, I see. It was trying to pull through this membrane, this idea of... Like a callback. Yeah. Basically, that's all it was doing. Every joke in it wasn't fresh. That's like Austin Powers Yeah, it was a continuation of the first movie. So it spent so much time doing setup to go like, hey, do you remember this? Good, we've got a topper on that joke. Now, I hadn't seen the first one. But you get a little, you get a hint of what the first one was about. With annoying flashbacks. Yeah, because this film, like, it starts off like a typical action sequel. It starts with the action scene, a high, like, octane, hotly intense action scene where he's in a black cab. I'm getting sick and tired of the um, the Hong Kong camera movement so close up to. Hong Kong used to be wide angle shots. Long so takes. You- Long takes, wide-angle shots. You could see the action star's face, so you could see it was them. But also, so you could see where everyone was positioned, and you could no, track where everyone was positioned. You're thinking Hong Kong in the 80s. Yeah. 80s, yeah, 90s. Yeah. No, modern Hong Kong movies. Oh, I haven't. Modern Hong Kong movies are, the camera is in your face. The camera is... Always close up. Is close up to everything. It's important to be able to, like, in a fight scene, they're never static. It's not rock'em, sock'em robots where they just stand there punching each other. They're moving somewhere. Yeah. In the old 80s, 90s Hong Kong cinema, you saw where they were moving to. That was in frame. And you kind of knew where everybody was, where everybody was heading. You could keep track of it. And this film suffers from, I don't, I'm not able to follow who's punching who, who's kicking who, who just did that somersault flip. That's another thing. There's too much somersaulting and anti-gravity stuff now. But again, it is quick cuts. Even between like the really close up and you can see it, oh, it's all a fluid movement. It's not. There'll be a throwaway where you look at something else and then the camera will spin back to it. That is a cut. Yeah. But yet the editing in this movie, that was the first thing I said when we came out of it was that the end, the editing almost offended me. Yeah. They tried to do, what's the term for uh, a hidden cut? Like you yeah, try and make yeah, it look a, like one yeah, long take, cut, but yeah. it's not. It cut. was so fucking obvious. The cuts in this film were so obvious. He tried to do, I think, maybe six or seven times the long, long make shows, it look yeah. like one long But take. within the action sequences, within yeah. the actual movie, when the slower times, so many quick cuts, even in a conversation, it had to be quick cut. My name is Poppy Adams, CEO of the Golden Circle. We engage in an aggressive business strategy, invest in the latest technology, and take strict disciplinary action. I'm speaking to you today because our world leaders have let us all down. So we are coming out of the shadows and taking over. And to make sure no one gets in our way, Kingsman is Krumpus. 
The story was so contrived. I know he's taking the piss and going like, hey, the Bond movies, they go everywhere. Yeah, it was tropes. It was literally kind of going like, hey, we got this word that this person's happening here. So So we'll shoot um, a scene one place and then they'll go somewhere else. To give a basic outline of the plot. So Kingsmen are um, like, they're kind of like MI5. A secret society MI5. And their cover, their front, is that Kingsman is a tailor, a personalized tailor shop. Yeah. In the centre of London. Now, obviously, in the first film, this is what I'm gathering from watching the sequel. I haven't seen the first film. There's a young working class in a city lad gets trained by Colin Firth to be the newest recruit to the Kingsman. Yes. And it's that kind of destiny chooses you. You're the perfect Kingsman candidate. Oh, I don't what think class I you are. Yeah, blah, I don't blah, believe blah. in myself, blah, blah, blah. And then in the second one, Kingsman, the Golden Circle, the antagonist is Julianne Moore, who I love. Yeah. And I was really happy. I didn't know she was in this. She, her character was terrible. Her oh acting God. wasn't bad. Oh, it was, it was so one note. It was uncomfortable. Amazingly one dimensional character. Basically, she's a drug lord. And, but she's disappointed by the fact that drugs are illegal, which means she can't celebrate the fact that she's one of the most successful business women on the planet. And she's, um, she's made her own classic Bond-esque island fortress and she's obsessed with 1950s americana that's her her ideal so it's all 1950s diners and bowling alleys again an idea and an idea it's too contrived be confident in the idea that you're a villain in a bond-esque thing so she devises this really convoluted plan to legalize drugs yes no no no. it's basically her plan She creates her own little pleasure island to, like, humor and entertain herself. And yeah. she kidnaps Elton John. Which, I'll give you, was, was the actual highlight of the movie. A lot of big laughs came because of Elton John. <laughs> I mean, and that's like, what I would say about this film. The film is funny. There's a good amount of wit to the film, It's I worth watching the first one for, watch, for looking for that wit. That's very uh, Matthew Vaughan. And anyway, she um, somehow Julianne Moore has she's created her own monopoly on drugs. So she deals marijuana. Like everything LSD. goes. To, everything goes to her. She yeah. may not own it, but everything's got to go through her. And so she taints every single drug known to man to be incredibly poisonous. If you smoke a joint, it will kill you. Thanks yeah. to Julianne Basically, Moore's whatever yeah. toxin she's put in it. And the idea is that she's holding the world to ransom. I mean, there was a kind of socio political point. Matthew Vaughn was making with um, normal everyday people use drugs recreationally and they get by. Mm. It doesn't ruin their life kind of thing. So she kills off the Kingsman, the central characters in the first movie, and they have to go find their American counterparts and their American counterparts are called statesmen. Statesmen, their backup, uh, their, their, cover. their cover industry is drinking. Yeah, maybe there was a message there that Matthew Vaughn is a drunk. <laughs> Well, no, I imagine Matthew Vaughn is a uh, guy that takes drugs and basically says, like, yeah, but I ha- I can control it. It helps I'm with in, the creative yeah. process. I take cocaine to do the editing. I smoke weed to do to write the script. Okay. You know, my mama, she always told me, us Southerners get our good manners from the British. And I was thinking, ain't that a pity? Y'all ain't keep nothing for yourself. Y'all ain't never heard of knocking for you, Henry. Well, I, actually, we had an invitation, didn't we? Yeah, how did you know? We're from the Kingsman Tailor's Shop in London. Maybe you've heard of us. Oh, the Kingsman? Yeah. Huh. Let me see if I got it right here. You want me to believe that it's normal for a tailor to hack through an advanced biometric security system with nothing but a little video watch on? that dog don't hunt i don't know it was kind of watching austin powers 2 without seeing austin powers 1 but that's the thing you're trying to play catch up a little bit and i did want to see the first film because i got the impression the first one was better than this one you got to come at it from the understanding of a person that's never seen any of these because there were there were callbacks to the first film yes clumsily edited in scenes yeah what do you think of like acting wise i thought it was okay I think it was the script that let it down more than I think it was phoned in on every level of acting. Colin Firth was really bad in the first half of the film. Yep. What's his name? The American actor that I thought that would be in it more. Oh, Channing Tatum is like a headlight. He's like marquee name on it. I was going to say, the one actor that I thought that actually pulled out the stops and actually went with it was Channing Tatum, and he was barely in it. 
Isn't Jeff Bridges in it? Yes. yes. He's the head of the American equivalent of the Kingsman, the Statesman. He plays the dude. Basically, his drug was alcohol. You could, yeah, okay, You could see yeah. them, the staggered, the movements and no, stuff like he that. Was, he no, wasn't, he wasn't that West Coast sandal hippie-ish. Hey, man. Yeah, but imagine that, but the central tenant wasn't... Drunk on whiskey? <laughs> the, whisk, the whiskey was the thing. Imagine like a, a southerner basically who drank all the time. Right, okay, yeah, fair enough. Who was the lead, the British, young British actor? Terran Egerton. Egerton? Egerton. Yeah. Guy, two movies I've seen him in before that. 71 and uh, Startup. Really good actor. Young actor, can see what he's doing. And he's moved straight into these movies, and he is phoning it in. No emotional depth compared to what he can do. Oh, right, I see what you mean, yeah. Like, he's a very... um what would you call it? He's a bit laddish, whereas Colin Firth is obviously the mentor character trying to rein him in a bit. Yeah. yeah. A, bit, a little bit cliche. Again, if you hadn't seen the first one, you don't get the connection between the two of them. Dialogue-wise, hit and miss for me. In terms of like the where it's more about witty banter than it is expository dialogue or characterization. No, I, 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 would, I would give that down to, uh, what's her name? The the writer, the screenwriter. That's how she writes. Okay. You look at any Matthew Vaughn movie, she's worked with him. Right. That's how she writes. She's a great writer. She just can't move out of this guy, Matthew Vaughn. So, would you recommend this to someone? Um, I would recommend this, and I, I say this a little too often, but if I were 13, that yeah. sort of age, I would love the shit out of this film. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much the market they're aiming at. It's a fifth rated fifteen in the yeah. UK. It'll come out on DVD and people will watch it. But I think they were aiming for that 13, 14 year old boy market, and that's if you're if you are that demographic, you'll love it. I was about to say we're so fucking regressed in mentality that thirteen year olds are eighteen year olds. Yeah, there's a lot of arrested development these days. <laughs> However, there wasn't. Like, first off, it was 15, 20 minutes too long. I started getting bored towards the end. It, it's certainly like the links between the scenes and the locations were contrived. And real snappy, quick, okay, we're here on a ski resort just yeah. because James Bond, there were famous shots of a ski resort and James Bond. We completed that mission. We need to go back to here and then we need to go fly off somewhere else. Yeah. And you're in a scene for like a minute. There's no in transit then, shots. Like, no. Yeah. No, there's no transition. Who would you recommend Kingsman Golden Circle to? If you'd seen the first one, this is a topper on the cake. This is icing on the cake. But not a expansion, not a... No, no. If you've seen the first one, you'll. this is you clawing at watching, wanting to watch the second one. But you don't deserve it. You don't need it. You don't need anything. This is. It should have been a yeah. one-note movie. Do you know but, what you, but, but someone gave you a second movie. Do you know what I think is akin to? What? Uh, Die Hard 2, Lethal Weapon 2. Yes. Made in that kind of vein. Yes. You're not really building We added on... extra to it, and you and everyone knows the, the characterizations, the it's... situations. All we've done is we've just added something extra. Yeah. It's like an old-school platform game where they just give you a few bonus extra levels rather than a new game. Do you think it'll make a number three? Do they do what's very popular now and try to set up a sequel? Because the first film did better than they thought it was going to do. It made like $450 million, something in that range. They're projecting for this one $500 million box office. But do they like set up? A- which, if they hit that, that would mean there would, there would definitely be a third film. No, right. they're, not, they're not set up. No cliffhangers. Which, which, I, no. which I respect, actually. They didn't that's, set up. That's right, really right. fucking blatant what they're doing in movies. That's pissing me yeah, off. Yeah, there's no thread. Yeah, other than, well, I guess if we came back to it, this is what the starting ground we've got. Would they? Because um, I don't. I don't want to shit on this film too much, right? And the reason why is it's kind of semi-independent cinema. Like Matthew Vaughn does things. He's like an auteur that. Yeah, he does his own way. Who's like, I'm not going to do what the studio tells me to do. And you get that feeling with Kingsman. That, um, if this went through the twenty executives sat round the table, all putting in their two cents kind of thing. It would be a really different film. There'd be a lot of kind of gags and shots that wouldn't be in there otherwise. And so I kind of want to encourage this type of filmmaking. It's it's not bad compared to its other comparisons. Tim, have we made you want to see Kingsman, the Golden Circle? No.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the final episode of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. The, t- the period in which we did this podcast was there was a lot of uh, t- tumult internationally. There was a lot of stuff going on in politics with Brexit, with Trump. Big things happening. And it's going to be interesting to listen back and see if some of our predictions, well, really for me, especially my predictions come true. Might time capsule some of these. I will, obviously, I'm not stopping doing podcasts in general. Bob. The new name will reflect my shifting away from the left more towards the right. I know Tim's happy about that. Are you going to call it joining the dark side? <laughs> joining the right <laughs> side. No, I think the new name is going to be the young fogey. Fogies aren't attractive. I am naturally dislikable. I'm not afraid of the conservative label. I'm afraid of like white nationalist label, alt-right, Tory voter. Afraid of those labels. But I'm going to be uploading. There'll be a new young fogey channel of some kind and a YouTube channel as well, I'm planning. There'll be our usual ill-informed insight. There will be lots of that. <laughs> our unique brand, our USP. But be on the lookout for a Young Fogey podcast and YouTube channel in the uh, immediate future. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. And putting up with us. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> you say goodbye, and I, I say hello. Goodbye, hello, I goodbye. I hate long goodbyes. I hate long goodbyes.